0: Spend some more time looking at our lovely Savior Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Now you can be seated. I saw the uh, music group try to pull this thing up. I've been trying to do it too every night. You definitely have that one fastened down pretty well. We've been looking at Jesus. And when I got the theme from I believe it was Teresa that sent me the theme. When I got the theme, I Saw Jesus, there's something about that name I thought, wow, what a, there couldn't be a better subject. And we've been looking at different aspects of the life of Jesus each night. And tonight we're going to look at Jesus, the great physician, the great healer. You know, and it's, um, for me, it's very appropriate that this is happening tonight. Not too far from here in Southern California. My son is involved in the white coat ceremony for the Loma Linda freshman medical students. So I'm so excited. Tonight is his beginning to be a doctor. I'm excited about that. And I thought, I planned this a long time ago before I knew when he was going to be inducted, so to speak, into medical school. So it's just amazing. Now, he doesn't know what I'm preaching on tonight. I told him, I'll give him a call afterward and let them know how the Lord works things out. It's just amazing. subject we're dealing with tonight, in a way, is somewhat controversial. Uh, there are, churches are all over the map on the subject of healing. Even the general public are all over the map on that subject. Uh, if you want to know something that's pretty amazing, in the last six, seven years, three of the most popular television shows on TV have to do with something about health. Some of you have heard of the doctors, Dr. Oz. You know, some of you have heard, my wife watches Dr. Oz. He kind of drives me crazy, I'll be honest with you. Uh, But I think he's trying to do good stuff. I I, I give him credit for trying. There's nothing wrong with that. But she likes, you know, he'll say, do this cherry juice, or try this, or try this, or try that, or try and, And my wife experiments on me. So I guess that's why I'm not at Dr. Oz. (laughs) But the truth is, a lot of that stuff is really good for us. We're going to look at that in a minute. But I want to start with a story I read some years ago. A friend of mine, fellow preacher, said, Ed, you have to read an article. He said, go online if you can. This was very very early on in the Internet uh, times. And I had dial-up. Remember dial-up? Slow as could be. Took me about a half hour to download this two page article. I'm going to read it to you. It was from the oh by the way Chicago Tribune, April 1993. David Gilmore and his wife Tammy never considered calling a doctor when their 15 year a uh, 15 month old son Graham were, became seriously ill. At first, it was like a flu. They said we didn't think any of anything of it. David Gilmore says. We did what we were taught to do at our church. We prayed. But the flu-like symptoms lingered for over a week, and the and Graham's temperature climbed. Though the Gilmores didn't know it, at the time, their son was suffering from meningitis, a dangerous inflammation of the membranes that enveloped the brain and spinal cord. His mother, in his words, he says, My mother heard Graham was sick and came down to see him. She must have realized that something was wrong, seriously wrong, because a couple of days later, my sister called and said, Davy, we know you are trying to do the right thing. But it wouldn't hurt your faith if we took the baby to a doctor, would it? David politely refused and then got angry when his sister unexpectedly asked if Graham could hear. I told her, of course he could hear. What kind of question is that? Gilmore said, as, as he hung up the phone, he walked over to the couch where his baby was lying, and he snapped his fingers. The baby didn't move. It looked straight ahead. He said, I clapped my hands, started yelling, jumping up and down. But the baby kept looking off into space. He couldn't hear. The baby was now deaf. My, must, my, my mother must have known. His fever was high enough. Even then, though, he and his wife said that they weren't worried. They called fellow faith assembly members who reassured them that the deafness was only a lie of the devil, testing their faith. Their friend urged them to take the baby and his older sister Faith away for a few days. So they checked into a holiday inn in Goshen, Indiana, And they were all set to go swimming when his wife, Tammy, called to him and said, said, David, come see the baby. I think he's blind now. Gilmore packed up the family, drove back to their home in Manchester, Indiana. And although they were upset, they still had faith. They refused to call a doctor, and they continued to pray over their blind and deaf infant son for another week until his jaw muscles locked and his neck swelled. Then, on Sunday, we went to church in the morning. And then again that evening, we took Graham, and that's the weird thing he says, they believe that if your child is sick and you pray for him, he's healed already. So he really isn't sick, it's just a lie of the devil. Gilmore said that Pastor Friedman gave a particularly rousing sermon on faith that night, And he and his wife returned home, feeling better. Their feelings rose even higher when Graham, who was still nursing when he became ill, suddenly ate some cereal. We were soaring, Gilmore said. When we went to bed, we were very happy. Then in the morning, they woke up and Graham was blue. He wasn't breathing. He was dead. Does that story rip your heart out? Gilmore was 21 years old, discouraged and confused. Faith Assembly of God members... By the way, this is not the Assembly of God, the, one of the largest churches in America. It's a smaller branch of that. Faith Assembly of God members believed that the same power that heals sickness can raise the dead. So David and Tammy Gilmore decided to take their faith one step further and pray for the resurrection of their son. In his own words... He says, we got down on our knees at the foot of the bed, Gilmore says, and after 15 minutes of prayer, I just knew I couldn't go on any longer. I look back on it today, and I realized I was gone. I was lost. Gilmore says that the death, the death excuse me, of their son just tore the heart out of his wife. But the worst came when they asked the doctor later on if Graham's condition could have been treated, the doctor was very frank with him and said, if you have brought the child early enough, this type of meningitis is easily curable. Can you imagine how he felt? How they felt? There's so much confusion on this subject, but there's a lot of people in the world today that believe if you have enough faith, it can always heal. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. There have been movies that have been made on this subject over the past years or so in recent history. In fact, there was one, a friend of mine said, Ed, you have to watch this movie. I'm not much of a movie person. If I'm going to watch something, it's probably going to be a baseball game. Maybe a football game. But I don't watch very many movies. So he said, I'll send it to you. You've got to watch it. I said, okay. So he sends me this movie with a little note. He said, one of Oral Roberts, you know, Does anyone know who Oral Roberts is? You know who Oral Roberts is. One of Oral Roberts' right-hand man, men who left his organization was one of the key leaders in helping the production of this movie. I said, okay. So I opened it up, stick it in. The movie was kind of sacrilegious, but I had one of my favorite actors on there, comedian, Steve Martin. And so I said, okay, I'll watch it. I like Steve. He's pretty funny. The name of the movie was Leap of Faith. Have any of you heard of that movie? I watched it, no language, you know, no sexual innuendos, none of that, but it was sacrilegious in the sense that it made Christians look like absolute fools. And it made preachers look even worse, like all they're after is somebody's pocketbook. He comes, he rolls into town with his big caravan, he goes in and he starts preaching. This particular town that he comes to hasn't had rain in forever and it's a farming community. So he says, the rain's going to come. And he starts preaching about rain. And he talks about healing. And there was a boy who was crippled who was healed during that time. When he was healed, the preacher, in this case was Steve Martin, the preacher in the movie, was so afraid because he had never seen a real healing, even though he'd been talking about it for years, that he jumped in his car and raced out of town. And then as he's racing out of town in the movie, the rain starts to fall. And you get this picture that maybe he finally started believing in what he was preaching. Now that's the kind of TV media type healers we see these days. Some of them are embarrassing to watch. But I have to ask you the question, are these healers for real? Are all of them fake? Do any of them have the biblical gift of healing? How can we know for sure which one is true and which one is false? Should we avoid them altogether? How do we judge? And the biggest question of all, how do you answer 15 questions in 30 minutes? Well, we're going to try. There's something about that name, Jesus. There's a healing power just saying that name. And we're going to look at Jesus the healer tonight. We've looked at Him as a good son. We've looked at Him as a master carpenter and a master teacher. Tonight, we'll see Him as the great physician. Go to your Bible, if you have it with you, and look at Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, it says this. And it happened, when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to go and tell the whole world and scream it on the mountaintops. Okay, someone is paying attention. He said, go and tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses had commanded. You know, leprosy was like the AIDS of that day and time. It was an uncurable disease. It, it was attached to it. Social, you know, uh, social more. You know, why did this guy get this disease? What happened to him? Is God cursing him? It was totally humiliating. The leper couldn't hang around with normal people. The leper could only hang around with other lepers. He had a miserable existence. And here this leper is walking along, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. Now, he didn't force Jesus to heal him, did he? He didn't go to Jesus and say, I have this leprosy and I'm sick and tired of it. I've seen you heal people. Heal me too. Did he do that? No. He just trusted, Lord, if you're willing, you can do it. Now, if Jesus said, son, I'm not going to heal you today but I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you eternal life. You know, he would have been happy with that. Mark chapter 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. We're going to pre- I'm going to share that one with you tomorrow night. The man that came was lowered through the roof and dropped at Jesus' feet. You know, in the book, we've been talking about Desire of Ages all week. In the book, Desire of Ages, it said when Jesus looked at him and said, Son, your sins are forgiven you, that was enough. He didn't need anything else. He did not need to be healed and get up on his feet and walk out of that place. And so it would have been with this leper. If Jesus would have said, son, your sins are forgiven you, he would have been fine. He would have been back to his leper colony feeling completely relieved that he would have eternal life. But instead, Jesus does heal him. So this is the backdrop we see for this man who has leprosy. He says, Lord, I know that you can. Please be willing. And Jesus reaches down in a very personal way, touches him, and heals them is that what the faith healers do today is it personal do the faith healers heal and say go and tell no one no I don't think so we're going to see that a little more in a minute other episodes when Jesus heals people it's amazing to watch how he does it do you know there are more times where Jesus tells a person go and tell no one about it than there are when he's in a crowd and heals them in front of everyone do you realize that We don't see that very often with the, quote, faith healers of our world today. He had no desire to make anyone a public spectacle. He was more concerned about the healing and helping of an individual. I'm going to share with you first of three three separate outlines in this message. I see some of you writing notes each night. You're going to have a hard time keeping up tonight. But I'm trusting you can do it. I have faith because there will be a quiz afterwards. And it's worth 75% of your test grade for the week. Just kidding. The first outline is simply this. What was Jesus' healing ministry like? I'll share with you a couple of things. First of all, Jesus' healing ministry was second only to his teaching ministry. He spent more time teaching, but he healed whenever there was a potential, whenever there was a need. He healed. In other words, he valued the body and health almost. Not quite as much, but almost as much as a person's spirituality. He cared for a person's soul. And you know what the soul is, right? I talked with someone last night about that. The soul is not the spirit that floats around. The soul is what? Your, Your whole being. You know, as Adventists, we know that. It's the spirit plus the body. That's what makes a soul. He cared about the soul, both spiritually and physically. Secondly, nowhere was compassion seen in Jesus's ministry more, nowhere was it more evident than in his healing ministry. Love and concern and compassion ooze from the recorded episodes of Jesus's healings. The character of Christ is vividly seen in some of these events. Do you remember someone comes to him and says, my daughter's dying. She's very sick. Can you come? And this was a person who worked in the synagogue. A leader. You know, and Jesus says, sure, let's go. And he walks miles on foot to touch this little girl and heal her. And while he's walking to heal this girl, what happens? A woman who'd been sick for many years. How many? Does anyone remember? A long time. Yeah, a long time. Merely, yeah, that's right, someone said it. Yeah, as, as he's walking along, here this woman touches the hem of his garment. And he goes around and says, who touched me? His disciples say, Are you out of your mind? You know, I can't imagine working with his disciples, you know. But that's why he's Jesus, right? Are you out of your mind? Who touched you? What kind of question is that? Well, everybody's touching you. Jesus realized that there was someone who touched him that needed special attention. And that person was healed. And several times in his ministry, he said, "I've not seen greater faith in all of Israel than this." I love when he heals the centurion. You know, this Roman leader, a military man. You know, he'd be like gunny sergeant if he was in the Marines. He comes along and he he says, "Hey, I'm in charge. I'm a commander of soldiers myself." I know you're a commander. You're the commander of heaven. All you have to do is say the word. I say the word and these guys go and do whatever I ask them to. I say, drop and give me 20. And they drop and give me 20. If you say heal, heal my child, then my child will be healed. What does Jesus do? He says, I've not seen such faith, not even in Israel. This is a Roman known as a heathen to the people of Israel. And Jesus heals. Incredible, powerful healing. Very personal though. Very personal. The third thing Jesus, we see about Jesus' healing is that he's healed for the sake of the afflicted, not for the applause of the onlookers. There are even times, I love, I hope you do this, you know, you get your Bible out sometime and just find all of the places in the gospel where Jesus healed people. And take a look at how personal he is. There were times where he'd take the person aside. Away from the crowd. He didn't want a standing ovation. He just wanted the person to be healed. Amen? That's what he was looking for. There was a dignity in the way he healed people. And fourthly, when credit was given, Jesus pointed it heavenward. Have you noticed that sometimes the TV healers, they give some credit to God, but they take a lot for themselves, don't they? Now, there's a stark contrast between the healing ministry of Jesus and some, not all, but some of the healing ministry we see today with the, quote, miracle healers. And the second outline I want to give you is comparison. There are three different things I want to look at. First of all, some of the modern healers might be put in a category we call sensationalist. These are healers that are completely opposite to Jesus' ministry. They heal for the applause of the crowd. They heal to maybe draw in some more funds for their coffers. They heal because they want people to say, wow, this man is amazing. What an incredible man he is. You know, I had a friend who said, he called me one time, he goes, Ed, you know, I hurt my, um, I hurt my, uh, uh, my tendons and my elbow. It's called tennis elbow. If any of you ever had it. I, I don't know why they call it tennis elbow. I got it from playing softball. I was coaching a girl's softball team, and... You know, you hit five million grounders and pop flies, and after so many repetitive motions, I tore those little, you know, the fiber in the tendons there, and tennis elbow. So the thing was bothering me, and I was having a rough time with it. You know, I was even shaking hands right in the middle of an evangelistic meeting at when it happened. And this evangelistic meeting was a very good meeting. We had a good crowd out. We probably had four, three, four hundred 400 people in this meeting. I held it in one of the churches there in, in Arizona, in uh, Paradise Valley Church. And I'm shaking hands every night, and it was just killing me. Every hand I shook was more painful. Every night. And then I thought, ah, oh, this thing won't go away. And a friend of mine says, Ed, I'll take care of your, I'll take care of your problem. Now, he was kind of joking. He said, don't worry. You're going to be healed. I said, oh, really? And he said, oh, yeah, you are. And so he sends me in the mail a monogram handkerchief that if I say so many prayers and hold this handkerchief over the wound, I would be healed. I sent it back to my friend who's kind of a wise guy, and I said, "Uh, it didn't work. Get your money back. And he calls me and goes, did you actually try it? I said, of course I didn't try it. I said, what kind of ridiculous thing is that? He goes, well, guy guaranteed it on TV. <laughs> so he got his money back. There are many who are looking for the applause of an audience in order to, to deceive a, a healing. You know, the problem with all of this is that it ruins people's faith, like David, David and Tammy Gilmore. They expect to be healed, and it doesn't happen. Of all the miracle reports I've heard, I see very few that are backed by medical science, medical professionals, and so forth. What they're doing is they're holding out carrots to needy people. They say, come, come get the carrot. And these needy people who are desperately searching to be healed go after the carrot thinking, okay, I can be healed. And when they're not, what do they say to faith? They say, doesn't work. God doesn't work. I don't want to have anything to do with it church or God or Jesus or the Bible because it doesn't work and that's what disgusts me the most about those sensationalist healers the second group are the confessionalists Okay, this is a type of healing ministry where they say if you have enough faith you will be healed everyone it is the divine direct eminent will of God for everyone to be healed all it takes is enough faith is that true of course not. Think of the Apostle Paul. Now, other than Jesus himself, the, the greatest man in the Bible, is. I mean, he went all over the then known world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He even raised a, a boy back to death that had fallen off a balcony and died. Does he have faith? Of course he does. Probably one of the greatest men of faith of all time. I want you to read what Paul has to say. me, 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. Listen to Paul's own words. And lest I should be exalted above measure, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted. Con- concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. Now we're not sure what that is. A lot of commentators say it was he he was losing his vision. And he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect where in weakness. Therefore most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Who in their right mind would say Paul didn't have enough faith to be healed? Of course he had enough faith. It isn't just faith. Yes, it takes faith to believe that God will heal us, but it isn't just faith. There's something about understanding God's will for our lives. Paul... Who was able to raise someone back to death, back from the dead, wasn't healed. Can you imagine? He hung around with a doctor, too. I'm going to mention that in a minute. I had a fellow pastor who said he was going to go to one of these faith healers. And I told him, I said, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. And he said, Ed, he goes, I really feel I, I want to prove that the guy's a fake. He's a charlatan, he's taking people's money. I said, you know, I don't know if you're on safe ground. You know, maybe maybe he is healing some people. Maybe God is using him to heal some people. He goes, "Uh, I want to try it. I'm going to go. I'm going to stand before him. And when he calls people to the stage and asks for them, you know, to come forward, uh, you know, when he lays his hand on me, you know, this, this particular faith healer would touch them and they'd fall to the floor. People would catch them. They'd fall to the floor. He said, I'm not going to let him put me on the floor. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up there, when he puts his hand, I'm going to stand firm, and I'm not going to let him knock me down, proving he's a phony. I said, I don't know. What do you think about that? That's a little scary. I said, I'm not sure you should do that. He goes, no, I'm going to do it. Fellow pastor in New Jersey. So he goes. This was a big meeting in New York City. He goes to this big meeting in New York City. He was a little shy at first, and they're calling people. People are coming up from the crowd and so forth. And finally, he says, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go up. He walks down to the front, and as he's walking, he's thinking, now what am I going to say is wrong with me when a guy asks me what needs to be healed? You know. And he walks down there, and he just kept walking. He felt like he was you know, just forced to walk, like he was... Walking downstream or upstream, and you know the stream is just pushing him. And so he got to the stage. Guy didn't even ask him. He looked at him and he said, "I know that you need healing." He put his hand on him, and he decided he was going to resist. The guy touched him, and he went right down to the floor. He woke up in a side room and said, "What happened?" I said, "Did you resist? Did you put out your struggle? You hold up?" And he said, "I tried, and I went to the floor." I said, now I want you to think about this, Pastor so-and-so. I won't mention his name. I said, does God force us to do something we don't want to do? I said, could that have possibly been God's spirit that knocked you to the floor? He said, no. God would not force his way. He doesn't even force healing on us. If we don't want to be healed, he's not going to heal us. He's not going to throw us on the floor, if we don't want to be thrown on the floor. In fact, I don't see him throwing anyone on the floor anyway, do you? When Jesus healed people, He didn't do it like that. He touched them. He showed special concern for their lives. The confessionalists teach that if you have a strong enough faith, you're going to be healed. Now, the third group, this group really frustrates me, are the dispensationalists. The dispensationalists are those who say, you know, Jesus healed, the apostles healed, You know, there were healings in the Old Testament, but from the time of the apostles till now, people don't get healed anymore. Just grin and bear if you're sick. Be a good stoic and go along and hold your face high and say, okay, I still belong to God no matter what happens to me. Now, these dispensationalists bother me because what they say is, God's given up on planet Earth. We're on our own. They say healings and miracles, they don't take place in this age. There's an eerie sort of fatalism in that. That kind of thinking can surely lead to disaster. They also believe these dispensationalists that your mind is powerful, you can heal yourself. The mind is powerful though, isn't it? I'll give you an example. My dad was an electrician, worked for the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, IBEW Local 164 in New Jersey. Turns out they were on a job site one day and a young guy came right, you know, fresh Apprentice, First day on the job. Comes out there and he says, hey, guys, I'm going to show you how to do this. I've learned some new techniques and methods. Now, you're telling that to a bunch of seasoned veteran electricians that have been doing this for 10, 20, 30 years. Now, my dad happened to be a little bit of a character, and he looked at the guy and he said, oh, you are, huh? He goes, oh, yeah, I am. So he said, okay. So he listened. The next day, my dad and some of his friends are at the end of the day. He got together with his friends. He said, tomorrow. When Johnny comes to work, everybody, he said, I want everyone in, all in, everybody tell him he looks sick. Think about that. Everyone tell him he looks sick. So as soon as Johnny came to work, my dad was the first one to see him. Hey, Johnny, how you doing? I'm doing great. I got more things to show you today. My dad looked at him and he said, Johnny, you don't look so good. What would you have for breakfast? Well, the usual. I had eggs and Stuff, you know, toast. He goes, oh, I'm not so sure. You don't look very good, Johnny. Johnny walks away from my dad. Next person sees, oh, Johnny, wow, what happened to you? Next person sees, Johnny, you look like you just crawled out of a sewer. (laughs) Before you know it, he didn't even make it to lunch. Johnny went to the foreman of the job and said, I'm sick, i got to go home. Johnny wasn't sick at all. The mind is very powerful. It is very, very powerful. There's no question about it. But we can't rely on just the mind to heal us, or even in that case, to make you sick. Now, in the moments every minute, I'm going to share with you five simple things the Bible says about healing. But before we do that, quick poll. How many in this room have ever broken a bone? Any of you ever broken a bone? How many of you? Don't be afraid. Okay. How many of you have ever had stitches? Okay, wow, we're a clutchy group, aren't we? Okay. How many of you have ever had a hospital stay? Okay. How many of you have ever had a major surgery? Any? Minor surgery. Plastic surgery. I oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, all right. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes either. Okay. Now, you're here today, right? So something happened. There are so many of us that don't realize that God's already healed us. We have been healed so many times, and we've never, many times, ever given God the credit. Psalm 139 says, we are fearfully and what? Wonderfully made. My son, four years old, takes his little sister, two years old, puts her in the famous Fisher-Price car... Everybody's ever had a kid has had that car. Little plastic kind of bubble looking thing, and it's yellow and orange. Little black wheels, and the steering wheel doesn't work. You kinda, it's like the Fred Flintstone. You step and you walk the direction you want to go. You can turn that way and go that way. Kind of a cool car. My kids are out in the car. <laughs> my son puts my daughter in the car thinking, well, she's a little more ballast, right? It'll make the car go faster. He, gets, he starts pushing her down the driveway. We had a driveway that was kind of angled like this. Whenever it snowed there, well, this wasn't in Arizona, obviously. Whenever it snowed there in New Jersey, it took me forever to shovel all that snow. But I remember him pushing that car and then jumping on top of it and saying, "woo!" As he went down the driveway. When he got to the bottom of the driveway, he hit something. Went flying. My daughter just kind of stood up in the car, held on to the front where there would be a windshield, but there's none in that car. And my son went like Superman for about 2.7 seconds. He landed on the ground, scraped up his chin, his knees, his elbows, and we took, I took him in the house. You know, I was watching all this. You know, I'm a great dad. You know, I'm really, you know, we happened? <laughs> My wife and I, I have two separate theories. My wife says, oh, we've got to protect them, put all the little child locks and everything. I said, let them experience life. They'll learn from it, you know. And so I scoop him up. He's crying. He's upset. I go running in the house, and I think, oh, man, this, i got an opportunity to tell him that God heals." So I take him, and I put him in the sink while I'm washing off all the blood. I say, Andrew, look in the mirror. I am not a child psychologist. He started crying harder than I've ever seen him cry. He saw blood coming out of his chin and his elbows. He goes, Dad, I'm dying, man. Oh, you're not dying. You're not dying. Oh, what was I doing? What was I thinking? So anyway, I wipe off all his elbows, his knees, his chin, and I look at him, and I say it again. Look in the mirror. After I put a little bandage, See that little raspberry we used to call him on your chin? Jesus is going to heal that. He said, really, Dad? Yes, he is. About two months later, Andrew's coming. Daddy, 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 i got to tell you something. I said, what? He said, Jesus healed me. I completely forgot about his traumatic experience in the sink. He said, look at my chin, daddy, look at my chin. You couldn't tell he had ever fallen. God created our body in such a way that most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it heals itself. Amen? We're thankful for that. The first way... God takes care of us is natural healing. Our body naturally heals itself. Second one is this, medical healing. Now, I have to tell you, there are groups that teach that if you get a blood transfusion or you get a pill, an aspirin, or whatever, that it's a sin. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You know, I, for whatever reason they feel that way, I don't condemn them for that. But I will tell you this, they're missing out on an opportunity to let God work through medicine. The Bible, there's no place in the Bible that says you shouldn't have a doctor work on you or help you when you need help. Do you know Paul was good friends with Luke? Luke and Paul traveled together many, many trips. And I never see in any of Paul's writing it doesn't say in Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, or Thessalonians, or Timothy, thou shalt not use a doctor. Okay, it's not in there. If it if he had felt that way, that not using doctors was wrong, surely he would have told Paul he would have told Luke, right? There's no question he would have said something. When I was in New Jersey, we had a pastor there, his name was Don Bozar. Don is one of the best, I want to tell you, one of the best Adventist church history guys I've ever met in my life. He could tell you Every date, every time, where Ellen White preached on September 1st, November, or, and then in, from then to November, where she held an evangelistic meeting in 1902. and all, The guy was a brilliant guy. His wife was a concert violinist and pianist and played the organ. She was starting to fail, and he thought she had had a minor stroke. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Took her to the hospital and realized she had a huge tumor, brain tumor. Said, you know, doctors looked and said, "I'm not sure it's operable. I'm not sure you can save her. I don't think there's any any hope." We had just had for our pastors' meeting a guy named Ben Carson come and speak. Don made good friends with Ben. He had Ben's number. He called him. He goes, "I know you're a pediatric. You work on children, but would you consider my wife's situation?" Dr. Carson said, sure. So they sent. he got the file sent from his doctor. Then ben Carson said, we're going to do the operation, but I want to do it here at Johns Hopkins University where I'm at. I want to do it here at this medical center. She was brought down there. They, the, the other doctors gave her about a 25% chance of surviving the operation and a 0% chance of ever having motor function again to play a piano or a violin. Dr. Carson worked on her. Six months later, she was playing the piano again in church. Amen? God uses doctors. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of that. I know some people are. The third way he works is through preventive medicine. And Adventist should be the first and foremost in preventive medicine. No one should be better at that than we. Dr. Oz, should, it should be somebody else on there. Dr. somebody, the Seventh-day Adventist doctor. Because we should be first and foremost, because we've known this for 150 years, how to live healthy, how to avoid things. The Bible gives prescription of what kind of things to eat and avoid and so forth. We knew better. We should be the first in sharing that. The fourth way is the direct approach. When it appears as though number one through three doesn't work, sometimes God just goes ahead and uses the direct approach. And I've seen this happen many times in my 28 years of ministry. James chapter 5, 13-16 through 16 gives us the prescription. He says that the afflicted person, if they're able, should call the elders and leaders of the church. There should be a confession of sin by all the parties involved, including those that are praying. They should then anoint with oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit's work, also a symbol of the righteousness of Christ. And finally, there should be prayer. And then it says the prayer of the Effectual prayer of a righteous man does what? Availeth much. And I've seen many times where God has worked miracles. There was a fellow student when I was at Columbia Union College. He was just about to graduate, but he was crippled up. His back was deteriorating, degenerating, basically. He had a disease that I guess was inherited. You know, he, he didn't really deserve it. But the head of the theology department, uh, Dr. Stout, called us all together and said, we're going to have an anointing for Dean. We had a special prayer. He wanted it. We prayed together. We anointed with oil. Dean went for his um, pre-operation. He was supposed to do an operation. They were going to do some fusion on his spine. Went for his pre-operation evaluation. And they looked at him and they said, well, you seem to be doing better. Excuse me. What happened? He said, well, you know, God, I have I, people pray for me. I guess God's working in my life, and I don't know. He said, you weren't even able to, the doctor said to him, you weren't even able to walk last time you came to the office. And he had been using a wheelchair for many months, and sometimes a, a, a walker. And he came in, and he said, what happened? The doctor said, what happened? Well, you know, let's give it a month or so, and then come back, and we'll we'll do some tests. He came back in a month, they did x-rays, and they said, You know, your spine looks better. We're going to get a little deeper. We're going to do a CAT scan. Came back, did a CAT scan, and it seemed as though his spine was completely healed. You know, he never had the surgery. Never. We're talking now 30-something years later. Never had the surgery. God healed him. He still heals. And then fifth and finally, sometimes God chooses not to heal. Now, we don't understand why. Some of us question why. And then sometimes we do understand why. But, as Romans 5 says, we are to glory in our afflictions and tribulations. Because it goes on to say, perseverance, or I should say, our affliction produces perseverance, our perseverance produces character, character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Amen? Character. What's the only thing we're told we can take to heaven with us? Our character. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, brethren, when these various trials come upon you, knowing it is a testing of your faith. And in the end, that faith produces character. Amen? I had a, a friend, a dear friend of mine. His name was Bill. Bill was a, a dean at an academy. He was a preacher. He was a lay preacher. A wonderful man. He, he one day was standing in the kitchen, dropped a, 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 a glass on the floor with water in it, hit the floor and broke. And he said he he was having a hard time feeling his hands. He thought, oh, I'm wondering, am I having a stroke? So he he was walking funny, and so he got on the phone, and he called. He called ahead of time to, you know, get an ambulance. The ambulance came, picked him up, took him to the hospital, and they told him, well, you know, you're having worse than that. You have a a pretty serious tumor, and it has a lot of little veins on it. Uh, He said, well, what do I do? He said, well, we're going to see if it's operable. They told him it wasn't operable. So they said... You just have to prepare for the end. He started praying. He asked God for help. He asked for the church to pray over him. We anointed him with oil. We did everything we could, you know, to, to let God work through us. And Bill felt at one point he was healed. He felt strong, healthy. And then it happened about three or four months after that, he had another episode and realized he wasn't going to be healed. He spent many weeks in and out of the hospital, one of those weeks he spent in the hospital, there was a, a, a nurse that spent some time talking to him. That nurse started attending the church there in New Jersey. And eventually, at Bill, eventually Bill passed away. And at Bill's funeral service, this woman says she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Think about that. We don't know. We don't understand why things happen. But they do. I, you know, I lost a good friend. But his life save somebody else's life, not just on planet earth, but for eternity. Amen. I want to finish with these words. Go back to it again. Second Corinthians. Jesus says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes he doesn't heal. Sometimes we don't know what the reason is, but sometimes he doesn't. And if he doesn't, we say, Lord, we're going to love you and serve you anyway. Amen. Job said, though he slay me, yet I will what? Trust him still. still going to trust him. The last thing I want to mention to you, some of you know the story of Johnny Erickson. Have you heard of Johnny Erickson? Well, some people call her Joni. She calls herself Johnny, so I'll use Johnny. Johnny Erickson had a terrible accident, quadriplegic. She paints with her mouth. She has an amazing story. If you, if you want to read a book, read her life story. It's incredible. She made a statement that touches my heart to this day. She said the best thing that could have happened to her was this accident. Because through this accident, God has given her the opportunity to witness to thousands and thousands of people she would have never been able to touch. What incredible faith. Do we have that faith tonight? If we do, God can do anything for and with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that... You're a great God, and we thank you. There are some in this room tonight even that would love to feel your healing presence in their life. Maybe spiritually, maybe physically, but we know that you're capable, and if it is your direct and immediate will, that you would do that for each one. And Father, for some of us that have ailments that we seem like we can't get rid of, help us to understand that you're allowing this to happen so that we might be able to use it to maybe comfort someone else in the same situation or to witness to someone we'd never come in contact with without it. Lord, bless us tonight. Help us to understand, yes, Jesus is still the great healer. He still performs miracles. And help us to trust in Him always, we pray in His name. Amen. God bless you.